It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timp. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. Millions of Ukrainians have fled Russia's invasion. We talked to a Republican congressman who was just near the border and met some of them. These people are devastated. Some of them were shell-shocked. Some were actually injured. They're coming into, you know, those countries. It's just horrific hearing their stories. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. A policy meant to reduce the spread of COVID has kept hundreds of thousands of migrants south of the border. But it may soon be lifted, even as the Border Patrol has reported massive, sometimes record-breaking surges of migrants over the last year. DHS internal estimates it could go, if Title 42 is lifted, up to 18,000 apprehensions a day. That's more than the city of Houston annually crossing the border illegally. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. It's day 34 of Russia's invasion. And while Ukrainian forces have driven the attackers back in some areas, like around the capital, some cities are left in near ruins. It was horrible. Have you seen horror movies? She is in Mariupol, where over 100,000 civilians remain trapped with scarce food and water, no heat or power. When there was shelling, you should have seen how everything burned. Gas, pipes, roofs were burning. People cried. We bent over and lay in the basement. But in Istanbul, Turkey today, a renewed effort to try to stop the fighting. A new round of negotiations is ahead because we are looking for peace. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will not be at the bargaining table, though he wants a face-to-face meeting with Russian leader Vladimir Putin, something the Russians say is premature and would be counterproductive now. Zelensky says they will not be surrendering anything. Our priorities in the negotiations are known. Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity are beyond doubt. He also admits they can't force Russia out of Ukraine completely, so President Zelensky says there must be compromise to avoid World War III. I'm not really optimistic, but I mean, I'm glad they're continuing to talk. That's Republican Congressman Mark Green, who's just back from a trip to Ukrainian border areas full of refugees who have fled the war zone. Russia's demand haven't changed. Now, it looks like strategically they are, uh, or I should say operationally, they're they're shifting back to the east, you know, to kind of focus on that land bridge. But their demands are still way beyond what Ukraine is willing to uh, acquiesce to. They're not going to accomplish anything substantive. Yeah, there was this talk that came out of Russia that maybe uh, there could be like a a Korea situation. You have North Korea, South Korea with the DMZ. You could have that in Ukraine where the uh, Russians control the eastern part of the country and Ukraine can have the rest of it. That seems like a non-starter, too. Uh, They're a sovereign country. I mean, who wants to be attacked and just, okay, well, we'll give you half. I understand the Ukrainians. They're pissed off. Their people are dying. The guys blanket bombing Maripol with thousands of people dead, Uh, children. I mean, it's... uh, They want to fight to win, and I don't blame them. You had a chance to talk to Ukrainians who have fled that country. It's almost four million of them have left. They're now refugees housed in Poland or in in Romania and Moldova. You recently went over there in a congressional delegation on the border in all three areas. You, You spoke to some of these people. You must have seen the desperation. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it was both heartbreaking and heartwarming. And I'll start the heartbreaking part. You know, these people are devastated. Some of them were shell-shocked. Some were actually injured. They're coming into, you know, those countries. It's just horrific hearing their stories. But it's also unbelievably heartwarming to see what the Romanians and the, especially the Romanians and the Polish are doing. They're, they're, they're not creating camps. They're bringing these people into their homes. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. And, of course, we're providing humanitarian aid. The United States is. Um, and and one, one story I have to tell you, this 17-year-old girl, uh, she comes across. She's in the camp and then decides to stay and volunteer to help her fellow Ukrainians who come across. Oh. And it's just unbelievable stories like this and, and knowing her home is being bombed in Maripol. I mean, it's just uh, uh, just heartwarming, heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah, I mean, some of the children who have been brought out of Ukraine to these areas, they, they've lost their parents. Some were just, you know, some, some were just taken by any, they, you know, they're, they're sitting there with the bodies of their parents and they're just taken and say, come with me. I mean, no, that that's that's right. And, and when you Absolutely. talk to them, when you talk to these people, what did they ask you for? I mean, I know not in specific help, but what did they want the U.S. to do that we're not doing? Well, we, we, we talked to this one 19 year old girl. You know, it's mostly women and children. You know, the men are, are staying to fight. But this one 19-year-old girl, she starts rattling off, you know, protect our skies. Give, give us and she give us the MiGs. Give us the S-300s. And she's running through the list. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable that they, they know what they need and uh, they're ready to fight. They just need the equipment that, that uh, you know, pretty much only we can give them. Do you agree with President Biden and other NATO countries and our leaders that a no-fly zone is something we're not going to do. Do you agree with that? You know, I think we can make a no-fly zone by giving them the right kind of missiles. Uh, an American fighter jet shooting down a Russian fighter jet, I mean, that really could be World War III. And we need to thread the needle of uh, allowing the Ukrainians to fight, equipping them to fight. We probably shouldn't even talk about it as much because when we do, when we say, let's say, weapon system X, all, all Russia has to do is, oh, well, if you do that, and this is kind of what happened with the MiGs, well, I'll, I'll do this, and it, it made giving the MiGs hard. But, but what we should do is just give them the equipment that we can, and uh, they, they want to fight. I mean, they're, they don't want us to come in their country and fight. They're, they're willing to do it themselves. You know— over the weekend, I read there was a Ukrainian official who was upset because President Biden had said that if there was a chemical attack, God forbid, that we would have to respond in kind, which the White House then said, well, no, no, we're not going to do any chemical attacks of our own. But that was seemingly like almost a red line that was drawn. But one of Ukrainian officials like, well, so it's OK to let us die by missile, by bullet or, or by bombing? but not chemical weapons. And, and so that Ukrainian was insulted by that. How that, that, yeah, that, mean, that's the frustrating part that they're, they can't get us to do more help unless there's something much more severe. Everything Biden is doing is to punish Russia for what it's done and not to prevent them from doing something else. And so, you know, if you say, well, we'll respond in kind, and then you walk it back, that doesn't prevent Putin from doing anything. What we've got to do is sanctions and, you know, statements of what we will do that's definitive and 
prevents Putin from doing anything else. And we got to dig into those, uh, you know, what's happening at Chernobyl with the workers being able to cool. Uh, it's now the, the fire season there. Uh, there's hazards galore at these reactors that Russia has taken. We need to make some definitive statements on what we'll do if, if they don't cooperate with the IAEA on this stuff. He mentioned Chernobyl, the site of a Soviet-era nuclear power plant meltdown in 1986, still being maintained. Now, on the trip to Europe, Congressman Green and his delegation also went to Vienna, Austria, home to the IAEA, the UN's nuclear watchdog, to discuss their concerns about facilities in Ukraine Russia has taken over, especially Chernobyl. It's very dangerous. The power supplies are, 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 are the critical piece, and then the workers, and being able to communicate with those workers to make sure that they have the assets they need. And right now, Russia has started to allow a rotational thing and volunteer Ukrainians are going in there inside Russian lines and, you know, trying to maintain it. But we have no way of knowing the condition. There's no communication. Um, There's nobody going in that has the technical capability or the technical expertise to do the inspections. And that's got to change. You had a chance also over there to meet with some of the U.S. troops who are stationed outside Ukraine, but not too far away now. What did you hear when you spoke to them? Uh, they're great Americans. You know, I went and met with the 82nd Airborne Division, a unit that I commanded in when I was an infantry officer. I actually got to meet the very company commander, uh, you know, the company that I commanded. It was it was pretty special for me. But, you know, to, to talk to these troops and to, to see their resolve to protect NATO, uh, the commander's uh, that are leading that are just superb. And I want to say a special shout out to the 101st Airborne Division. They've got a brigade from my district. The leadership over there, a guy by the name of Kevin uh, Sharp, is just doing a fantastic job. And uh, it's it's there, you know, pushing back to be that uh, strength on the eastern flank of NATO and tell Russia, I'm sorry, you're not crossing into NATO. President Biden, of course, addressed those uh, troops uh, Friday as well. He had made a statement somehow referencing that that they'll get to see Ukraine when they go there, which led the White House to be like, no, 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 we have no plans of sending troops into Ukraine. Uh, Do you think that was just a stumble or do you think there is some sort of a contingency plan somewhere? You know, I don't think there is a contingency plan for NATO troops to be in Ukraine. You know, there may be... uh, in this negotiation between Russia and Ukraine, an opportunity for some form of UN peacekeeping. I don't know that they're making any progress on that, but but there may at some point be some form of peacekeeping troops there. Uh, I don't. It all kind of hinges on the negotiations, but uh, I, I know there's no plan for NATO troops to be in Ukraine. President Biden also met some Ukrainian refugees while in Poland, and he called Russia's leader a butcher. The president's already called Vladimir Putin a war criminal. And then during his speech on Saturday, he added something unscripted. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. That reverberated around the world with the White House clarifying he's not calling for regime change in Russia. Well, then yesterday afternoon... President Biden had his own clarification. I want to make it clear. I wasn't then, nor am I now, articulating a policy change. I was expressing the moral outrage that I feel, and I make no apologies. He said he was just being emotional. Look, you know, on one hand, I I want to give some grace because I understand that that giving speeches, you you misspeak. But, 
you know, when you're the president of the United States, you cannot afford these kinds of gaps. You cannot telegraph to Putin when you're trying not to, you know, you're, you're, you're sending weapon systems in a way not to confront. You're not doing a no-fly zone because you don't want to create World War III. To say that you're going to regime change uh, Vladimir Putin is a, is a massive mistake. His biggest fear is that the U.S. will do a regime change, a Gaddafi or a Saddam. And, you know, the, the one thing we don't want to say, uh, President Biden slips up and says it. Again, it happens when you're giving a speech and you're in the emotion, but, but the president can't do that. He just can't do that. You had a chance to be with Democrats on this delegation. You were there. How unified do you think both parties are in Congress on this issue? We have a lot, of course, of bi- of partisanship on a lot of other issues. How are you as two parties on this? You know, it's pretty shocking and, and I guess, again, heartwarming to see that the United States Congress is uh, incredibly unified on this issue. I mean, even uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats pushed a bill through compelling Biden to stop oil purchases from from Russia. And he, you know, he tried to stop her from passing that bill saying, look, I'm going to do it. And she said, I don't care. We're passing the bill anyway. So there is a unity in Congress that I haven't seen since I've been there. Republican Congressman Mark Green from Tennessee, back from a trip to Poland and the Ukraine border area. We really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Dave. Have a great day. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. Title 42 is a health policy, but the way it's been used at the southern border has had a big impact on immigration policy. The CDC's health order has been in effect since the pandemic began, initially under President Trump, and it allows for the expulsion of migrants in an effort to prevent the spread of COVID. Last week, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky said, We last reassessed Title 42 at the end of January. As you recall, that was just around or right after the peak of our Omicron surge, and we had hospital capacity challenges really across the country. That reassessment is due next week again, and we are currently re- uh, reviewing the data and evaluating it right now, so more soon to come. More and more Democrats have been calling for an end to Title 42, and immigration advocates have called it inhumane, saying it blocks people from claiming asylum. Some immigration attorneys have also said Ukrainians are being exempted from Title 42 right now, while others are not. President Biden said unaccompanied minors would not be subjected to Title 42, and the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled it could not be applied to families if those families would be sent back to countries where they'd be subject to persecution. But even with Title 42, the southern border has seen massive numbers of people trying to enter. Last month in Washington, D.C., former Customs and Border Patrol Chief Ron Vidiello told me... I was in Del Rio a couple of weeks ago. They go several days where they don't deploy anybody to the border except in an emergency because they were so covered up with the care and comfort mission of the people who are already in custody, they couldn't afford to send people to protect the line. And so they know that we're all at risk in conditions like that. They know that the cartels are taking advantage of that situation on the border. So what will the CDC do, especially now that they have, in their words, given us a break from indoor masking as cases, hospitalizations and deaths have dropped dramatically? 
And how has the application of Title 42 changed over the course of the pandemic under two presidents? Title 42 was implemented under President Trump. William Lajeunesse is a Fox News senior correspondent based in Southern California. It was basically everyone because of the pandemic. Almost everyone showing up at the border was going to be deported. And that's how it was used. Of course, this is a CDC rule. And then DHS basically implemented it. Well, over time, and especially under President Biden, it has been relaxed. First, for unaccompanied minors, it was not applied. And increasingly, the number of families are also being exempted from that as well. So the question on the table is, what is the CDC going to do on Wednesday? Last thing on this point, uh, originally, again, it was, you know, a good 90% of people were deported under it. Right now, or at least in February, about 55% of those encountered or apprehended at the border, that's 164,000 in February, 91,000, 55% were deported using Title 42. We know the president had said children would not be expelled under Title 42, and some kids were expelled um, during the Trump administration under this title. What happens to these children now? I understand they're being or were being housed in emergency shelters, most of them along the border, but we know over the years of reporting on this, children are not allowed to be held that long in custody. Right. Generally speaking, there's no more than 72 hours in a Border Patrol processing facility. And then under the Flores settlement, 21 days for UACs, unaccompanied minors, or families. And that's generally the rub. And I hopefully come back to it is there's no room at the end, right? So Border Patrol, and I've talked to several agents last week regarding this anniversary or this 60-day expiration on Wednesday, they are being told you got to process people as fast as possible. That basically means what's called curbside adjudication. You show up, I take your photograph, I take your fingerprints, and I say bye-bye. So some of these communities, that's when you're seeing in Yuma or South Texas or Uvalde, Texas, saying, we can't handle this. We got one bus station. We got no airport. And people are literally being released into these communities. So one thing about unaccompanied minors, they're unaccompanied for a period of time to cross the border. That doesn't mean they already don't have a parent here, that the parent isn't trying to cross somewhere else. They're going over because they know that there is a, a window or at least a freedom for the right. UAC to be released. It's kind of a means to an end. I, I spoke with Ron Vitello last month, former chief mm -hmm. of the US Border Patrol. He told me that agents in Del Rio, Texas in mid-February were so engaged with what he called the care and comfort mission of those in their custody, they can't go out and actually patrol. He said they won't go out unless it's an emergency. Like that's how overwhelmed things are, at least in the Del Rio sector. Is that, is that sort of the vibe you're getting yeah. from all sectors? Del Rio is getting hammered right now. They have no infrastructure. Unlike the Rio Grande Valley, you've been there. They've got the Donna facility. They've got several bus stations. They've got in McAllen and Brownsville. They're kind of used to it. You know, they've seen 4,000 people apprehended a day sometimes at different peak periods. Del Rio right. can't handle that at all. And you're right. It isn't just that sector. They're right now seeing, Jessica, 6,900 apprehensions a day. That is huge, right? And I've been told that DHS internal estimates, it could go, if Title 42 is lifted, up to 18,000 apprehensions a day. That's more than the city of Houston annually crossing the border illegally. There's no way they can handle that other than just, it's a turnstile, basically. Wow. 
William, we've seen from footage captured by our own Fox News crews, I think with Bill Malusian, um, migrants being released, right? They're men, they're not families and children, and the government has admitted that while most adults are expelled under the policy, some are not. What has been the explanation from DHS or CBP about these decisions and about these individual adult men who maybe have like a monitor on their ankle or whatnot, but they're being released, they're not being expelled under Title 42? Right. So part of it depends on where they're coming from, right? So if you're either coming in from Venezuela or you claim you're from Venezuela, you're getting released. That's a situation with, to some extent, Nicaragua as well, because we've we've said that the government of Daniel Ortega is a repressive regime. So depending on where these single adults are coming from, they may get a humanitarian parole. Statistics show 40 to 50 percent of people still abscond from from ADT. So there's wow, no there's no assurance that you're going to show up even though you got a monitor right. on or you're doing smart link or you got a little telephone you're supposed to check in. There's basically three different ways that that migrants can be um, not incarcerated and yet still quote under supervision if you will. But uh, but as you know statistically uh, DHS did a four year study uh, only seven percent of people who come across the border actually qualify for asylum and yet seventy five percent or more never leave. We know immigration advocates have been arguing against Title 42 for a while now, really since it's, since it began. Mm -hmm. um, they've slammed this administration for allowing it to continue, and there there is a legal fight over this. We know last month the appeals court in D.C. said that Title 42 couldn't be used on families, um, as you noted, to send families back to places where they could face persecution and or torture. How much does that complicate things? Um, because as we've already discussed, families end up getting released, right? Because you can't hold the kids longer than, than 20 days. President Biden has deported 1.3 million individuals using Title 42. If you remember, under President Trump, when he deported people to Mexico using MPP or return to Mexico, he was widely criticized that we, how could you dare send people back to these dangerous cities in Mexico where they're going to be exploited? Well, guess what? When President Biden is, is, is sending people back under Title 42, not MPP, they're going to the same, quote, dangerous Mexican cities. So what many Democrats are saying, like Majority Leader Schumer, Alex Padilla, a senator from California, are saying, listen, people have the right to claim asylum and a right to due process. And that's why they want Title 42. They believe Title 42 should be removed. That it is inhumane to send people back uh, right. to countries where they may face danger. And if you don't give them a hearing and you don't hear that out, then you could be putting them in danger. So that's the argument for removing it. William, is that why we're hearing talk of ending Title 42 now? I mean, we, it's been extended, right? It keeps getting extended. And then there was sort of this this end point, and, and you're referencing Wednesday as that. But how much do these legal fights and any court rulings play into the yeah. administration or the CDC's, you know, decision-making process here? So it's not interesting, right? So you and I, I think, recognize this is a political decision. What the administration continues to say, including spokeswoman Saki, is like, listen, no, this is all about 
the pandemic and the virus. The CDC is going to make their decision independent of the things, that, these court challenges or anything else. They're going to look at the numbers. And if the Omicron variant or COVID is reduced enough and the transmission rate and hospitalization rate is low enough, we're going to remove it. Realistically, we are told this is a decision that the administration as a whole will make, not just based on health concerns. But if you do allow people to come here in the numbers that they fear, well, then are you risking a resurgence of Omicron? The answer, some would say yes. Therefore, maybe the CDC continues this for another 60 days. Look at it that way. Yeah, we're once again hearing about rising COVID cases in Europe. We know the city of Shanghai, I think 26 million people, they're now locked down. I know China has a zero COVID goal, but still they're beginning a a mass testing policy, a PCR testing policy there. I'm wondering if you look at a global picture um, to continue to to justify Title 42. If they do justify it, I I would wonder if they would cite cite some of those statistics or numbers or places. Right. One thing I'll say on that, they can split the difference. Here's what they can do. And I've heard this speculation. This isn't William. (laughs) This is interviews. Um, You could say, listen, we're going to continue 42. DHS would make this decision based on what the CD says. You know, no more single adults still for another 60 days, but we'll allow families in. As you know, uh, Arizona Senators Mark Kelly and Kirsten Sinema have said, please don't lift it in its entirety right now. We are not ready. Their words, there'll be chaos on the border. I am told, Jess, that, and I've talked to several different sectors, they have not planned for it, right? So you hear about these European-style welcoming centers and how we're going to have all these different government agencies down there. That model is good an idea has not they have not planned for that right so they're not ready for that right now yeah finally william i know you've been at the border a ton you've been in mexico as well we know that a lot of migration patterns are seasonal right and spring is a big time due to the weather and i i know also that these incredible numbers we've been seeing record numbers of people coming they really haven't fallen into those seasonal patterns lately um no and you you already referenced that we're expecting this an even bigger surge i mean what are people sort of bracing for if title 42 is lifted well, the historical norms are no longer valid, right? Because of the way the asylum rule is now and the humanitarian parole that this administration has adopted, there's absolutely zero reason not to come to the United States. So if you get thrown back, okay, big deal. There's no consequence. I'm going to come back tomorrow or the next day and the next day. So the numbers that I, 18,000 a day, that's what, 700 people an hour? coming over, that would be incredible. Again, that's not my number. That's an internal DHS estimate of what could happen if they lift Title 42. There'd be no reason not to come. And already, you could argue that there's not. 200,000, okay, the top was July of last year. That was, I think, 210,000 apprehensions. For March, I am told, they're going to hit over 200,000, maybe 207,000. So these are just incredible numbers. I mean, that's, like I said, that's a city the size of Houston. They're crazy. I mean, they, there's Border Patrol simply doesn't have the manpower or the facilities to handle those numbers. William Lajeunesse, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? So everyone's talking about Will Smith's big night at the Oscars, but let's not overlook the fine job Jerry Springer did producing the show. I kid. Jerry Springer was far too classy for this one, which was a perfect illustration of why nobody takes Hollywood seriously anymore. The show started out with the three female hosts calling out Florida's, quote, don't say gay bill, which is classic Hollywood because they were all the way self-righteous and all the way wrong. The bill doesn't say a word about banning gay, but nobody likes a fake story more than Hollywood, so there we were. And from there, they put Me Too in the rearview when co-host Regina Hall brought the actors on stage she wanted to sleep with, made a bunch of sex jokes, and then pretended to check them for COVID by patting down their bodies. Now, it goes without saying that if a male host did this, we'd all be sitting in an emergency lecture from HR as we speak. Okay, Amy Schumer had some okay jokes, but nothing was half as funny as watching actors call out Vladimir Putin's unchecked aggression, only to watch Will Smith literally assault Chris Rock on stage, return to his seat, and win an Oscar a few minutes later. Think about that for a second. Kanye West has been banned from the Grammys because he might do something weird, but Will Smith smacks a guy and they give him a trophy. Yeah, it was Smith's first Oscar, but somebody needs to tell him that when people say, act like you've been there before, they don't mean prison. But there was Hollywood applauding him for getting emotional in his acceptance speech, mainly because he won, and every one of these vapid Hollywood sociopaths wants to be on the side of the winning team. These are the same people who covered for that dirtbag Harvey Weinstein for 20 years until it became better for their careers not to, at which point his career went off to that big casting couch in the sky, which is why the most inclusive Oscars ever broadcast were inclusive of everything but an audience. Which brings me to my last point. Earth to Hollywood. If you've checked the ratings, you need to know that nobody wants to hear your political views. You guys are famous because you hit the genetic lottery. You are so good looking that people are willing to pay 20 bucks for a popcorn so they can watch you recite words that were written for you by an ugly person. Take it from a guy who's been in a few writer's rooms. These guys aren't exactly show ponies. But the point I'm trying to make is that Hollywood is a complete and total joke, which makes it surprising that they can't take one. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with me, Jimmy Fallon, weekdays from noon to three on the Fox News app and foxacrossamerica.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.